Welcome, everybody, to the Aaron's ICAP Adventure Radio program. Um, we have another week here of information, of great stuff here when it comes to guns, products, interviews, the whole works. Or you can give me an email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com. The social media. Ladies and gentlemen, go to Facebook, aaronsgunshop.com. Go to the Facebook page. Like us on Facebook. Got lots of videos up there. We've got... True stories of self-defense coming from a 1982 issue of the American Rifleman, the, the Armed Citizens column. Always a good thing to read. Plus, I got a couple other stories I want to go over. We may run long, Kincaid, so stand by with that. So let's take a quick break. and When we come back, we will start with true stories of self-defense from the American Rifleman's Armed Citizens column from the 1982 issue. See you on the other side. Kincaid, take us away. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're here, Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program, and what we're going to do is uh, true stories of self-defense from the American Rifleman's, and I've got some other things here. All right, story number one. Church Bernard returned to his Coconut Grove, Florida home to find a pair of burglars trying to break in a back window. Bernard entered and fetched an M1 rifle, which he trained on the house breakers after they returned to their car. The driver put the car in gear and attempted to run down Bernard, who opened up with the rifle, killing him. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't mess with an M1. You just don't do it. You're going to lose. That thing will destroy you. And I'm sure the gentleman knew how to use it. Obviously, he did because he did not let the guy get away. Not really too much commentary on that other than, yeah, don't mess with an M1 rifle. Story number two. We're going on. We're going to have you and your money too. A would-be rapist told an unidentified Washington, Pennsylvania woman as he molested her in a shopping center parking lot. But the woman pulled a licensed 25 automatic instead and put the criminal and an accomplice to flight. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I've told you this before. A lot of people complain, ah, the 25 caliber pistol is anemic. Well, yeah, it is anemic, but it can still do something. It's basically. It can kill you. I've, I've read many stories where a 25 auto in the right place can kill you. Okay, so you just need to be careful no matter what it is. Pellet rifle can kill you. But it did the job. She had her wits about her to do what it took to get these guys in flight. All right, Kincaid, let's take a break. When we come back, Super Attorney, I'm sorry, uh, Attorney Extraordinaire, Benton Ross Watson is here in the house. And we're going to be talking 10th Amendment. See you on the other side. Welcome back, everybody. The Aaron's High Cab Adventure Radio Program. Tina, to my left, sits the Attorney Extraordinaire, Benton Ross Watson. Ross. What's going on, buddy? Always a pleasure hey, having man. you in the house. Man. How you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm spiked. I'm like high strung today. Oh, I'm man. That's fast. how it was. Yeah. That's how it was. We got the finale on the Bill of Rights. That's why you're so fired Maybe up. Maybe that's it. Kind of excited, but upset at the same time. We're going to have to f- scroll through the Constitution, see what other kind of rights we can talk about. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the number here is 254-697-6633. Give us a call. I don't care what the topic is when it comes to legalities. There's, you got If you don't call with a legal question, speaking to a prominent attorney in the local area who will give you some direction for free, you're nuts. Okay? You're nuts. Anyway, here we go. Shall I read the Tenth Amendment? I got it. I got it. Okay. The Tenth Amendment is going to say that uh, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibit, prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. States' rights. So, yeah, we, we, we spoke about last week the Ninth Amendment and how that it tells us that there are inherent rights that are not included in the Bill of Rights that are still just as important as those that are, are enumerated. Okay, those that are placed within the Constitution or the Bill of Rights itself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so this Tenth Amendment is going to tell us that there are rights 
that are reserved by the states and others that are reserved by the people. Okay, but it's just really letting the states know that they are still sovereign. They're the ones who are still going to have powers and rights and things that are available that were not otherwise given in the Constitution. And I remember this was a, a big deal uh, in the day, and there's been just absolutely tons of litigation right from the beginning, right, right out the gate. Uh, involving the Tenth Amendment and what it actually means, and uh, it stems from everything from the Bill of Rights to um, articles, specific articles and clauses and sections within the Constitution itself. Primarily, the uh, Necessary and Proper Clause, the Commerce Clause, uh, taxing right, the right, the power to tax. Um, as well as just to borrow money, the right to uh, almost everything that Congress has done at some point has been an issue as to whether or not they can regulate states. And it's simply going to be too much to talk about today. Um, we're not even going to come close, but I, I think maybe just to give an overview and to kind of wrap things up, I wanted to start with Justice John Marshall. Okay, who is uh, maybe Robert Jackson, Justice Jackson, maybe my first and most favorite justice, but uh, John Marshall is definitely in my top three, and he was the first Chief Justice, really, of 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 the United States Supreme Court, and um, it just I, it's not because he wrote some of the first opinions; it's because some of his opinions. Uh, have withstood the test of time and still today are as uh, relevant as they were when he wrote them. And the powers... It's like uh, classic rock and roll, right? Yeah. And, 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 and two opinions that, uh, I mean, everybody should at least read one time, uh, probably, is um, Marbury versus Madison and McCulloch versus Maryland. And... Oh, by the way, I want to go on. I want to go on a little t tangent here. It has nothing to do with the Tenth Amendment. But uh -oh. um, has anything to do with me? No. I, okay. But I want to. <laughs> go ahead. I want to. I want to point out. Uh, there's been some in some hypothetical cases, hypothetical cases that I'm working on right now. Um, problems with the statutory rape law. Okay, and and I know this has nothing to do with the Tenth, but I feel like this is great. Um, be careful about criticizing that, especially when we're talking about teenage kids when when it involves maybe a eighteen year old and a thirteen, fourteen year old, nineteen, thirteen, fourteen year old. I realize there's gonna be um some complaints. I realize that and you may not absolutely agree with me. But consider this. Justice Marshall was twenty seven years old when he married, okay? Miss Polly Ambler, which is Mary Ambler, who was 16. You and they were dating. He fell in love with her got a call when she dinner. was, when she, I, I'm going to finish this whole thing. Yeah. When she was 13. Those are different times. Oh, they were. So in 200 years, we've evolved already to that kind of human emotion would be the fastest evolution we've ever seen. Right. And these were highly educated and prominent people. 
Look, if you look back at the time that that happened, I got no problems with that at all. I understand the way it works. The way society has built it up now, you're condemned. You could have, you could have, if you had mental uh, adulthood at earlier ages, we might be able to continue this on. But the, the way a majority of people are, their their um, maturity levels are not there, man. You can't handle that kind of stuff anymore. Man, I don't know. I don't see how some of that changes in two well, what years. I'm saying, now, what I'm saying, though, is if you got an 18-year-old uh, and a 16-year-old and we're having issues there, I got challenges with that because that's just young love. But when you start going below that, it starts making me feel creepy. We got a call. Welcome to the show. This is Matt. Who are you? Hi, Matt. This is Steve Young, and I'm just calling in to tell you and Benton that I really like your show. I listen to it all the time, and... Uh, uh, yeah, I think this is a great service you do for the county and the community, and I'm just calling to say thank you both. Wow, thank you very thank, much. Thank you, Judge. We're just trying to trying to meet your standards, man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I, I, wanted, I want the county to know that Benton Watson did a marvelous job with our moot court competition. He did a great uh, service by tutoring the kids and then serving as a judge, and clearly he was one of our best judges and uh, knows the material well and just a wonderful guy and a good lawyer. So I'm delighted you guys are on the air, and this is a wonderful program. Thank you very much, Judge. Appreciate Thank that you very much. much. And I'm not Call any time. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> running for office, by the way. I'm not, I, <laughs> thank you. All right. Um, well, yeah, so there's that. There's, there's that, and uh, I don't want to... You know, I don't want to offend too many people, but I would like to offend you enough to make you think about that. And that not all of these happen because they're nasty cases. It Sometimes it's puppy love. Just I mean, it can be that. And I get that. And that's great. That's great. And, and so just, just, just I just read a story about those. I just read a story about those child molesters. And it, it makes it, when you read a story like that about child molesters, that's what makes you protect the child even more so. It's because you're inundated with all these creeps out there doing stuff to children. It, it, it sickens me, man. And that's one of those things I will, I'll lose it if I I'm not it. talking about a, I'm not talking about that. No, I understand case. it. But yeah. what I'm saying is because that is so prominent and people hear that there's so much wanting to protect the children that that concept you just talked about, puppy love, it kind of gets blocked by all these weirdos and perverts messing with children. So just, uh, just remember that. Anyway, for my hypothetical cases, maybe in the future. Anyway, so Marbury versus Madison. I, I'm running out of time now, but. It's got to start there because one of my favorite quotes in a court of law, oftentimes, to the judge is not guilty. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, that's what I, that's a response that I love. Okay. But it, it's it's judge an act of the legislature repugnant to the Constitution is void. It's void. It's it's not effective. It cannot do it. Okay, and. That's what he said, and he said it is the province and duty of the judicial department uh, to decide what the law is in regard when we're talking about the Constitution. And so we had to start there because that sets the stage. And what Marbury versus Madison was just uh, just briefly is uh, John Adams issued a bunch of commissions. Uh, before Jefferson came into office, you know, Federalist, Anti-Federalist, and when he came into office... Uh, he told James Madison not to issue the commissions to the justice of the pieces, okay, that were appointed by John Adams. 
and it's because they were political enemies, right? It was it was federalist, anti-federalist. Wait, but what do you call what do you call a, a judge of the peace? Multiple judge of pieces? What? <laughs> oh, come on. No, justice of the peace. Okay, but what do you have? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. What do you have? A few in the room? Do you go justice of the pieces? He, he, he appointed multiple justice of the, of the pieces. Okay. <laughs> Oh, probably we probably messed it up. Uh, magistrates, whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> Judge, so, call it. Tell us what. <laughs> so, so, King so with that, Kincaid's looking it up for us. Oh, tell us. Okay. And then, and then, um, hold on, hold on. Kincaid, tell us what we got. Um, in in more general, uh, commonly used context, the plural form of justice is justice. In some contexts, it'll be justices. Not so we say justices I? of the peace. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that before, so I mean, that's most probable. I'd say I, I like I like justice of the pieces. Of the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so, and then he didn't issue the commissions, and so then Marbury, you know, Judge Justice Justice of the Peace Marbury was upset, and so he went after him, and it was a big political controversy. And and if you read the opinion and read the history on it, Justice Marshall just did an outstanding job of of of, of balancing the two. He he made Marbury lose, but he gave the judiciary more power, and he also interpreted the Constitution at the same time, so he could make everybody happy. But also advance the power of the court, and I mean it was a very, very strategic decision that goes next in that just sets the stage for McCulloch versus Maryland. And you remember, right after the founding, you want to say all this was great and everything was going good, dude. It was it was hard, right? There was it was uh, depressions that were going on, taxes being laid. You had a you had remember the the articles a confederation remember that mm -hmm. and so it was really just 13 states trying to figure out what to do and 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 they had no funding they had they had uh enforcement problems they had no real leadership there was no real president even though they were they were claimed to be there there was it was hard for them to take action remember there was shay's rebellion and shay's rebellion came because there was a, a depression there was taxes it was they almost felt like if you were poorer if you were poorer in agricultural uh, businesses, you, you you almost felt like you're still under the rule of England because that you know these debt collectors, ta tax collectors would go to court, get judgments, and started seizing land. And people, you remember, people were in the revolution. People were in these armies, and so they didn't have time to make a lot of money, and so they're already in debt. Because and when they get out, and then there was no wages being paid because we had a problem. We didn't have a centralized government. Okay, and so we couldn't force people to have money. It was hard to tax. It was hard to get money to pay the soldiers, and so that that just exacerbated the problem. And then it just became more exacerbated by more regulations and people trying to get paid. They were trying to get their money. So when people wouldn't pay, they would go and execute, seize their wow. land. Okay, and it, and the and the small uh, rural farmers just felt like they were being taken advantage of, and the prominent people the, they felt you know, like they were getting plowed under. The, yeah, exactly. That was a great that was a great <laughs> okay, pun there, but right. but they were felt like George Washington and all the other framers, right, were doing great, and then they and they were just helping them, even though they didn't. A lot of the framers, a lot of the people that signed the Constitution, died and lost everything. You know, I want to okay. tell you something about George. I was reading a letter. He was. Um, and talking to his officers because they were kind of wanting to revolt because they weren't getting paid. And he goes up there and talks to his officers. He takes off his glasses. He says, excuse me, my age is getting to me because they, they adored this man. And he asked them to just hold on a little bit longer because I know you're not getting paid, but we just went through a, a, a great 
revolution here. We're free now. Let's not lose it at this point. And it's just amazing when you think about that and hear stories like that, what it took to get this country the way it is. It took men like that, men and women back then of honorable um, stature to, to just hold strong, stay strong, and make us where we are today. So appreciate what you got out there, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it's a miracle. It's a miracle about this country. And, and us, us, so all of that is true. And, and it, I just don't, I just don't want, I hate when people have the impression that after we went through the revolution, it was all hunky dory. Oh, no uh, and they and, and the founding fathers, the ones that give us our bill of rights, even Patrick Henry, right, has to do things that are just totally against his nature. Like, uh, in, in, in other, for Shays Rebellion, uh, one of the Adams uh, suspends habeas corpus. Right, they suspend certain rights. They they actually uh, make the legislative acts that were done already by people that were uh, uh, helpful to the rebellion. They made that null and void. They they started uh, going after people who were speaking out against the government. These were American. These were these were Americans doing this, not England. Mm -hmm. Okay, and because it was there was so turmoil going on at this time nobody knew what to do and not having a centralized government made it worse and and so that's how we get get to where we are trying to establish a constitution okay now with that being said we flash forward up into you know the you know 1815 around this time okay and we have McCulloch versus Maryland and what had happened is is that the federal government uh, made a corporate bank that was able to lend, invest, loan, borrow, um, and deposit federal monies. But it was controlled by private stockholders, and this bank could issue notes, issue its own notes, right, as well as the notes that were issued by state banks as legal currency, as tender, as legal tender. Okay? And in exchange for that, that bank right, loaned the United States money, a, a ton of money. Yep. Okay, and so this upset everybody, and it especially upset everybody because there was a depression. Okay, and the state banks were really upset as well because they they couldn't do the same. They didn't have the same kind of power, right? And it allowed them basically not to have a steady flow of income. And so when the depression hit, a lot of the banks and banks failed. Okay, a lot of the banks failed. They blamed their failure on the federal bank. Okay, and so in retaliation or just to save themselves, a lot of states started taxing these federal banks, the branches of the federal bank. And that's what we have. We have Maryland taxing, right, the bank, and then they go, and the bank's not paying. The bank's refusing to pay. It's a federal bank. It's not paying. And so they sue. And that's where we get McCulloch, who was the cashier of the bank. Okay, and so it, it goes, and of course they lose in the state courts. They appeal to the United States Supreme Court. Justice John Marshall's got to hear the case. And the reason you, you'll see why I told you about the Articles of Confederation. So in this case, Justice Marshall has got a tough decision to make again politically. And this, this decision right here is probably the most seminal uh, case that we've got and is the most powerful case out of any right to establish a national power and a lot of people hate this opinion uh i i'm i'm sort of in the middle ground I, it was necessary in some regards and yeah it gives a lot it gives the national government a lot of power and but it's a beautiful it's a beautifully written opinion and it's powerful it's just strong and it's it's great to read and uh I, so the necessary and proper clause allows 
the government to enact laws that are necessary and proper to carry out its other powers. And the people that were going against the banks, they were they were arguing against the bank, says no, if the if there's no power in the Constitution, there's nothing in the Constitution that says that the the leg- the Congress has a right to corporate, make some kind of corporation, nor does it have a right to establish a bank. And remember, if it's not delegated, if it's not delegated to the Congress, mm-hmm. then it's reserved to the states. States, that's right. Well, that's a good argument. So Justice Marshall goes back and look at the Articles of Confederation. And in the Articles, it was a similar language in there that said the 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 powers not given right to this confederation, right, are retained by the states, mm-hmm. are expressly are are that that are not expressly delegated right to this confederation are retained by the states expressly and so justice marshall said well the framers were part of the articles of confederation and so they had to be aware of that and the whole point of making this new document the constitution was because the articles of confederation failed in so many aspects and so we needed a new document and they knew what they were doing in the 10th amendment when they did not put expressly okay in the 10th amendment so when we go look at the 10th amendment the powers not delegated to the united states by the constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively and to the people so marshall was saying the powers not expressly delegated versus the powers not delegated. Say that again. Justice Marshall said, if we only meant those powers Mm -hmm. that were expressly said in the Constitution, meaning the actual printed word. He keeps saying expressly. I just want to make sure there's a clear definition. It's explicitly, clearly. Clearly stated. Clearly stated. Okay. Okay. Not implicitly, not implied. Okay, which is what we talked about in the First Amendment, in the Tenth Amendment, the Third and Ninth, right? Isn't there's these implied rights? Well, there's that doesn't apply from the other way around, is what the people arguing against the banks say. So Marshall says no, because the Articles of Confederation said that those powers not expressly delegated. This one only says the powers not delegated. So there must be more powers delegated to the national government. That are implied. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, I keep telling you in my classes, words mean, mean things. things. Words mean, mean things. things. That's why I gave this story. I want to... Who... I mean... Because you can read this. It's just like the uh, the verses in the Bible. You read a verse in the Bible, and it's like, okay, no, 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 no. Read it again. Because <laughs> that word means something. That comma means something. The line before it and the verse before it means something. What you're saying here in those key words, they mean things. Because if you say one word, it means, yeah, we're talking about these few, not those, which means there are more. That's exactly. And so the, that means that anything that was necessary and proper within the commerce power, the taxing power, the, the, the money and loaning and borrowing powers of Congress went into the manner in which they could do it. So they didn't all, it, it, if we had to, if we had to put in everything, we're making a code, not a constitution. And he said, this is a constitution. We're not spelling out every single manner in which Congress can enact 
what it needs to do under its constitutional powers, which I agree with that portion. He goes farther, though, in several aspects that gives great power to the national government, and that's what gave rise to the Commerce Clause. I think you saw an email I sent to a guy uh, a few weeks ago uh, explaining some, some gun rights, yep. and, and I explained to him to be very careful right on a couple of areas in regard to the, the Commerce Clause, and remember how that can be interpreted so what is interstate commerce what is commerce what affects commerce i mean uh, there, rick was you talking could, about that too rick was talking about how that can get so convoluted there i mean you can almost i mean at some level you can almost argue anything mm-hmm. it, it affects it and remember i spoke about the the flatulence cattle flatulence yeah, I remember that. okay about how <laughs> the, about how the uh, methane gas that's produced from cattle farts okay it comes together and creates greenhouse gases and how some uh, of this affects the weather and then how combined this the, the weather affects right industry and then how industry affects how the products are produced so, and so eventually right it is uh, eventually we get to the point where it's affecting the whole interstate commerce so fast food is behind global warming yeah <laughs> okay. okay, and 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 then how we had the wheat, the 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 crop producer who uh, never sold any wheat or used any wheat or any crops off of his property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He never used anything off his property. All he used it to do was feed his chickens. But he was so many acres over, half a dozen or a dozen acres over of whatever this wheat act was, and so they came in and, and penalized him. And he said, "What are you t- under the?" Under basically interstate commerce, what are you talking about? I don't, it, uh, I don't, I don't even sell my wheat. It only, I don't even leave my property. I don't have anything. Well, Congress said that that fell within right certain powers that could be regulated as part of commerce, interstate commerce. Now they wrote those powers for specific um, grotesqueness, grotesqueness of it. Where's the common sense part of it where they go, okay, it wasn't really designed for you, the guy who went a little bit over. It's meant for um, people doing it on a mass scale, right? Where does the common sense part of it come in? Well, it didn't. That was a Supreme Court case I just talked to you about, about the wheat grower. And so, um, and that's a famous one, actually, a very famous case. And so, I mean, this just goes to show this is how this is how the Commerce Clause has reacted. And this, this has led to other opinions like United uh, – but the court has not always upheld – these things and there's several elements. And remember, I spoke about a case right before at the end or the first of the year about uh, how there was some religious rights and how it had to be proportional and congruent that goes into these. Okay, but I was going to point out before I got went off here today that this has led to um, um, uh, the court not giving the Tenth Amendment has helped uh, restrict federal power in the cases of United States versus Lopez which was a statute that prohibited possession of a gun at or near a school. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's all those school zone provisions and the unlawful carry within right. the federal and and the the court said, "Man, that was I think it was a 1995 opinion. Man, that that's criminal law and that's really local." I mean, why are you guys trying to regulate why is the federal government putting its hand into regulating local school zoning? And so the, a lot of times the federal government sees itself having problems when it starts regulating gun gun control as well as criminal law and and really and when it starts to try to regulate land use right as well as local how do I say this local activity not necessarily products 
but local activity. And, and that's why it has a problem with, with gun control issues and uh, criminal laws and land use regulations. And another big one, oh, there was a Violence Against Women Act that they tried to, they tried to give that was also um, seemed unconstitutional. But Prince, Prince versus the United States was the 97 opinion. And I thought you might have even heard of this one because it's the Brady Handgun Protection Act, mm-hmm. Violence Protection Act, okay? And this was the big one. This was saying the federal government cannot commandeer, commandeer, right, states to do certain things and in that case for instance this was the nicks background check mm-hmm. the brady bill actually required originally um for local law enforcement officers to do all of the background checks okay and the sheriffs i think it was uh jay prince and richard mack one sheriff from montana the other one from arizona we sued. had richard mack on the show one time so, he's a good guy yeah, sued sued to uh require because the government was trying to make local law enforcement he said this is not something you can require us to do are you crazy and that's what the the supreme court said it it it, uh, held that congress could not circumvent the prohibition on commandeering a state's regulatory process by conscripting and they even said drafting the state's police officers right into the federal regime they couldn't draft Okay, the the local, I love that term, and they said the federal government may neither issue directives requiring the state to address political particular problems, nor command the state officers to administer or enforce federal regulatory programs. It matters not whether policy making is involved, and no case-by-case weighing of the burdens or benefits is necessary. You know, They're fundamentally incompatible I don't know with if the I Constitution. Should, I don't know if I should say this or not, and forgive me if I'm screwing something up, but Chris White, our sheriff... I think I heard him one time say he would never, he would never follow those confiscation laws of anything that comes down. Chris, if you're listening, and if I hope I didn't put my foot in my mouth, but if you want to call in, go ahead. But I mean, that's good to know where the the main law enforcement officer in his county, Chris White, would not go for those types of things of confiscating gun laws because it's like here, leave us alone. We'll deal with it on our own matter, you know. And and so yeah, and that you 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 essentially wrapped it up with a with a nice example of exactly yeah what what that gives local leaders a right to do when it tries to right be a bureaucratic regulatory regime from on a national scale, right? You can't control us on a local basis as far as for local matters does that make sense made sense to me and you can't and you can't require state officers to enforce that regulatory regime i have a feeling i know who this is we got a call coming let's see if it's for us um ross i don't know about you but i've totally enjoyed these um amendments going over them in detail kincaid who we got that's what i thought chris i had a hunch you'd be listening Welcome to the show, Sheriff White. How's it going? I think we lost him. Is he on now? No, no, I, I gotta connect him now. All right, stand by. Stand by. Here we go. Sheriff White, how you doing? Hey, how you doing, Matt? Pretty good. I, I, was, I hope I didn't stick my foot in my mouth, but I think that's the... No, you didn't. No, absolutely. I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't support any kind of a, of a confiscation law. I mean, that's just... That just goes against our Second Amendment, which which is uh, we hold very dear here in Mountain. You know, I don't think a lot of people really realize the power you hold, Sheriff, is because you're the man in the county. You could push out the feds if you want to, if I understand my, my laws right. And uh, that's a powerful thing to do, and that's, it puts a lot of um, 
responsibility on your shoulders. So I'm glad to hear that you support that when you think about doing that in, in an over aggressive way. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously we can say that uh, politics is a is a dirty business when it's up there on the federal <laughs> level, but uh, but man, we just try to keep it real here in Monroe County. That's awesome. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for calling. If you got something else you want to talk about, feel free to do so. But I appreciate you clarifying and supporting what I said about the way you act. So I appreciate that. No, absolutely. And, and yeah, a huge shout out to Ross. And uh, yeah, I may not always uh, agree with Ross, but uh, but man, they did a great job on the uh, on the mood court competition. I was really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Sheriff. I appreciate all the work you did. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. Right, yes, sir. Bye, bye. All right. You want to wrap this up here, Ross? Yeah, uh, I, I hope that uh, it was all informative, and I hope that you guys are more educated about uh, the Bill of Rights, and it was just a privilege and a, a joy being here throughout all this. And uh, just remember a, an act of Congress that is repugnant to the Constitution. Any of those Bill of Rights is void. Void. Tell everybody what you do, and once again, this long, this extended segment is sponsored by Coplino Dodd Krebs Law Firm, and I'll tell you what, I've known Rick a long time, and for some reason he likes me, why, I don't know, <laughs> and I asked him that, and he goes, I haven't figured it out yet, so I'm not going to, hopefully he doesn't figure it out, but I want to thank him very much for supporting the program like I do with all my other sponsors. Without them, I could not be on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot tell you, without sponsors, this show doesn't happen. And the sponsors do it because they trust in me. They believe in what we're doing here. And I ask that you please go support these sponsors. Because without your support, you know, this show doesn't stay on the air. Yeah. Okay, tell, tell everybody what you and, do. Yeah, yeah. If you need to get in contact with me about the show, about questions, man, we love that. We get a lot of these. Email me at Benton at Watson.legal. That is Benton at Watson.legal. Again, if you got something, please email me. We, we always try to respond, and we do respond to most people. But if you do send me an email, please uh, put your number on there. And if you want to call me, you can uh, call me at 254 605 4140 or come see me at 105 East Main Street here in Cameron, right across the street from the courthouse, Big Milk County the side you can't miss. It. There you go. And respectforyou.com. And thank um, you, Judge and Sheriff and Rick Dodd for everything. Sounds great. And can you take a break? And when we come back, we'll have a delicious Janet Goodman. Capolito Dodd Krebs Law Firm in Cameron prides themselves on service, resourcefulness, knowledge of the law, and attention to detail. So if you or a loved one has been injured by someone else's negligence, they can help. Call 888-637-6347 for help today from Capolito Dodd Krebs Law Firm. Capolito Dodd Krebs Law Firm will work as hard for your family as you do. Call 800-460-0606 for Capolito Dodd Krebs. Hola, mis amores. I know you can't wait to start partying for the weekend, but before you do, I want to help you make the most of it with some top-notch single de Mayo recipes. I'm Janae Goodman, and this is Tactical Snacking. Many of us celebrate Cinco de Mayo and believe it observes Mexican heritage, but do you know why it's actually observed? No, it's not Mexican Independence Day. That's in September. Cinco de Mayo marks the Mexican victory in the Battle of Puebla. It's celebrated every year because the battle led to a huge morale boost for the Mexican army, and that slowed France's march to Mexico City. While they later lost the war to a more heavily equipped French military, Mexico held on to its pride and still hosts an annual reenactment of the battle to this day. 
Regardless of why you personally celebrate the holiday, I wanted to hook you up with some favorite holiday recipes. So get your pen ready. Guacamole is as classic as it gets and simple too. All you'll need is four to six fresh avocados, two small ripe tomatoes, a small minced sweet yellow or red onion, one to two bunches of chopped cilantro, lime juice, and salt and pepper to taste. Mash all your ingredients together and serve with tortilla chips or set aside for your dishes. Are your bagged tortilla chips stale? Not to worry. They can be crisped in a 350 degree oven. They only need about three minutes. Got a bunch of stale tortillas on your hands? Don't throw them out. Make your own tortilla chips. You can cut each tortilla into four to six pieces and fry them over medium high heat. Once they begin to brown, drain them on a lined sheet and sprinkle with salt. If you're in the mood for something sweet, sprinkle them with cinnamon sugar instead. Step up your side dishes with elotes or grilled Mexican style corn. Traditionally, this is brushed with butter and served with creamy mayo, cotija cheese, which can be subbed for Parmesan in a pinch, and chile powder. You can choose to eat it right off the cup or cut the kernels into a cup. Need an idea for your main dish? I don't know about you, but Mexican cuisine screams bold, well-blended flavors and plenty of meat. This marinade is perfect for pork or beef, regardless of how you choose to cook it. Personally, I recommend grilling or slow cooking. Don't forget the rice and beans. For your marinade, two whole oranges, both the juice and the rinds, one can of Coke or Dr. Pepper, one and a half cups of canola or olive oil, half a tablespoon of oregano, a roughly chopped medium onion, four cloves of garlic, and salt and pepper to taste. Squeeze the juice of your oranges into the bag and toss in the rinds. Add all the other ingredients and introduce your meat. Let it sit for at least 15 minutes before cooking. Remember that marinating is meant to help enhance flavors, but it's not meant to replace seasoning altogether. You'll still have to season the meat regularly before you cook it. We can't have Cinco de Mayo without margaritas. Try making your own at home. All you need is three ounces of choice tequila, a fourth a cup of lime juice, two tablespoons of simple syrup, and one teaspoon of orange liqueur. Stir or shake all your ingredients together until well blended. Boost the flavor with frozen fruit, or better yet, stir it up with this recipe for a fruit simple syrup. In a small saucepan, combine one cup of fresh or frozen fruit along with one fourth a cup of honey or sugar. Add the juice of half a small lemon. Typically, I opt for peaches or berries for this recipe. Cook it all over medium high heat and let it simmer for about 10 minutes or until the fruit is broken down, stirring occasionally. Remove the pot from the heat and allow it to cool. The mixture will thicken as it does. You can choose to keep your fruit whole or blend and strain your product. Use your syrup to coat the rim of your glass before dipping it in sugar or salt. Man, I made myself hungry talking about all this food. But if you need these delicious recipes sent to your inbox, don't hesitate to contact me at tacticalsnacking at yahoo.com. Remember to drink responsibly, enjoy your weekend, and until next time, stay hungry, mis amigos. Ladies and gentlemen, keep your powder dry. God bless. See you next week.